0: Hello creeps, I'll be your ghost, I mean host, as we delve the crypts of spooky movies and even spookier theory. Welcome to Horror Vanguard. Oh my fellow podcast maestro, Uh, are, are we ready? Are we ready to, uh, I don't know, depending on where the audience stands, descend or ascend into a level of hell? I'm not sure what level we're currently at. <laughs> uh, well, the the only way out is through. Let's <laughs> let's let's see what we can do. We, here. Need, we need that on a shirt at this point. The only way out is through, but it's the chest burster from Alien.
1: Uh yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> also, uh, uh listeners, we have a very special guest today that you might hear in the background, uh John's cat Scout. Well, we've
1: had we've had episodes where Harker has made a guest appearance uh, on the show before. So, I guess it's only reasonable that uh Scout uh, be in uh one of our episodes as well. Excellent.
0: It's it's really I mean like just speaking for me personally, it's a it's a ratatouille situation. Harker writes all of the prices, you know. Uh I
1: mean some of some some of the best writing I've I've ever heard to come from a cat.
0: <laughs> Harker is uh, so so listeners if you don't know my cat is uh 15 or 16 years old. Um I I adopted him 4 or 5 years ago. He is ancient. Um and he's currently just snoozing next to me like a happy little old man. He is perfect and causes no trouble.
1: <laughs> uh my cat on the other hand is not that uh uh she is a tiny gremlin of malevolent chaos and evil and uh causes nothing but disaster uh
0: so do you want to do you want to lead us in to this week oh yeah 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 i'll do it i'll do it because it's not just a regular movie it's john's birthday movie fireworks applause party sounds uh, insert those over the uh screams of my cat <laughs> Well, Scout's just excited. Scout's excited it's your birthday. Uh, Scout is just sitting on top of the wardrobe and yelling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do my best to not only leave in the Scout dialogue, but enhance it so cats and the listenership can hear. I think that is uh, that is going to be essential. <laughs> it's, our, it's our new... Our, our, it can be I was, I was, bonus material. It's our, it's our new show. Uh, it's a, It's a new concept we've got going here. A podcast for cats. You give your cat something to listen to; it'll be really interesting. That's like a late VHS idea. But today, uh, today we're talking about an exciting film, a very online divisive film, a critically, uh, probably one of the most cri- like hashtag critically acclaimed movies we've talked about on the show. We're we're listeners. We've broken one of the many seals in the HV crypt, and we are discussing Tar. Uh, yeah. Prepare yourselves for discourse. <laughs> we are entering the vampire for good castle today. Or Ill. <laughs> Scout Scout is like some some uh Sharon esque figure urging us desperately to not to cross the river. <laughs> okay. Well
1: uh, yes we are we are indeed talking about uh talking about uh, Todd Fields uh much uh, uh much kind of hyped uh movie. Only the third third ever feature film. Um, we're talking about Tar but um, honestly I'm so excited to find out from you <laughs> uh, the, the resident expert on all things movie related uh, <laughs> or, or, from, or from the pen of Harker <laughs> if what you've said earlier is true um, what is Todd Field's 2022 film Tar all about
0: Tar is a deeply familiar film I knew the shape of tar simply by the way it was discussed. The talk of serious issues, the absolutely infantile hand-wringing over controversies, the gilded celebration of auteurs, well, maestros, and a commanding grasp of the most vain intellectualism. Give this movie a proper ghost and we'd be calling it elevated horror. That aside, you've all seen this song and dance routine before. Enter the accused, formerly celebrated artist-thinker-leader. Give the prosecution a minute to share their quote, powerful story, read as unsubstantiated allegations. A few faint tears, if that, a statement of remorse. Total disavowal, sustained applause. Six-figure income guaranteed, future material conditions unrelated. We'll hope the machine has different outputs next time. Tar is a reflection of a set of social technologies working as intended, generating a comforting blanket of esculpatory narratives. We don't need a robust analysis of power and hierarchy when we have the apology tour and relaxed interviews in palatial estates. Ten paragraphs about being a paragon of feminism and a challenging yet whimsical childhood before we address years of patterned and systemic abuse. Still, it's all couched in the sedate relaxation of a fall from grace. A poetic ballad of an Icarus-like figure, all survivors conveniently out of frame. It doesn't matter who pilots a thousand small social Enola gays. Decades later, we'll be privy to the closed-door deals and power plays. Don't worry, Lydia's just another finger on Kissinger's mechanical hand. A few years of sowing landmines in the hearts of young Southeast Asian girls and Warner will give her the comeback of a lifetime when she does the score for the Clarence Thomas biopic. This would make me sick, but I've seen this all before. Tar will get a new six-figure contract and will be glad-handing fascists while opening up a new beer's place. When abusing a few people here and there just isn't enough, use your power to backdoor fascism through the holes in civil rights. Like I said, we've seen this all before. Just close your eyes and hum an old, familiar tune. Dear listeners, I wrote that Precy before I watched the movie. Hardly a called shot, just Herman and Chomsky stuck in a locking groove. I just don't have the time. The seas boil and we kick back and forth the same can perfected by Zarchi back in 1978. I can't honestly tell you to join us, but you are already here. Let this episode play as you race to pen that lingering confession of love before the last sun sets. Don't catch yourself waking up the same day after day. We don't have many left. Okay. (laughs) Boom! Okay, <laughs> that was uh, so. It was a little in, a little horror vanguard inside baseball. Uh, I, I I went full Zizek mode on this one uh, and wrote the Precy before watching the movie, though I have since watched the movie. Well, I guess the obvious question is
1: then: Would you change the Precy based on what you saw?
0: No, nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> at least, at least in terms of the discussions that I want to have with this film, um, I I, I think it, it it resonated perfectly. This one. Nothing Nothing in TAR surprised me. You know, like, seeing, seeing the way people talked about this movie, the way it was posted on on social media, its kind of relative critical appraisal, the types of critics that loved it, the types of critics that didn't love it, I kind of knew everything that was going to happen before it started. But I don't think that's necessarily a, a bad thing, because I think it's also important to highlight that, like, you and I accidentally became professional film critics, and, like... You know, like I'm—I'm I'm sure there are professional baseball uh, announcers and critics and newscasters that that can foresee things based on based on the casting of a few bones, and we're no different. So we're we're <laughs> we're a bit poisoned. You know, the radiation of a thousand movie reviews has changed our minds and souls. Uh, yes, basically it has. Um well we're, we're not
1: we're not going to be short of
0: things <laughs> to discuss uh <laughs> no no we're not and i, I think one, one thing i would want to say right off the bat as we enter the formalism zone sound effect dropped made by labor kyle you can find labor kyle on youtube and twitter <laughs> and a bunch of other cool places <laughs> But I, I think the one thing I want to say is like, uh, so, so a, a moment ago, we were trying to figure out if I, I thought this movie was uh, good or bad. And I think I'm like, I don't know, it's, talking about so many movies now, I don't think it matters for me if a movie is like good or bad anymore. It just kind of matters the things it makes me think and the conversations it makes me have. And this movie made me think a lot of things and we're going to have a lot of conversations. <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. This is why I wanted to, I, I, I chose this because I was like, it's very, it's very rare. It's very rare for me to see like a, a film that gets quite a bit of mainstream buzz and like some awards hype and feel like when I watch it, I really want to talk about it with someone. And and you're right. This is because we watch so many movies, but like uh, I, I watched this very recently uh, and I was like, as soon as it finished, I was like, I have to talk about mm-hmm. this, yeah, yeah, and and it's incredibly it's incredibly rare that a film that gets touted as like uh, that can that can oh it's an Oscars movie it's very rare that an Oscars movie will make me do that like it
0: I I can think of maybe like two or three other examples <laughs> I and that that's one thing that I really enjoyed about Tar is that this is the the most blatant Oscar bait. I've seen in a minute, like this is, if, if Lydia Tar would have been a film director, if this would have been a movie about making movies and not a movie about well, music, uh, like-, like, but with that said, like those movies are very rarely worth considering. And this one is 100% worth talking about.
1: Well, yeah, well, maybe that's an interesting point. What do you, what do you, th- what do you mean
0: by Oscar bait? So uh, uh, for, for those that are in listener land who might be encountering that term for the first time, uh, movies that are Oscar bait are generally written to appease the attitudes of the Hollywood tastemakers, you know, the people who will be deciding the Oscar winners and losers. Right. So so imagine imagine, if you will, a a heartwarming tale of a young film director who uh, has to deal with two or three keyworded social issues of the day. Uh, and their quest to make a passionate film and insert a lot of shots of old movie technologies and a bunch of fawning uh uh, i don't know pageantry for like the machinery that is hollywood and those movies those movies are just built to win awards and i think the the kind of uh, example here is like the artist from a few years ago Mm -hmm.
1: um and i kind of i get what you mean but i I don't know if I agree in this case. Um, mostly because I think there's a difference between something being like technically very accomplished, mm-hmm. which this is oh, yeah. on pretty much every like formal level of filmmaking and something being like, well, to put it another way, I do think this is aimed at the tastes of like the Academy, mm-hmm. but not in a good way. And this, this is like, oh yeah. One of the things, that, one of one of the things that I would pull out of this film is like, this is like a kind of blisteringly vicious attack on that kind of, uh, you know, quote unquote, elevated culture, uh, and reveals it for,
0: <laughs> for exactly what it is, <laughs> for exactly what Scout just suggested it is, yes. And this is, this is, I think, the thing that we're going to have to struggle with a lot in this episode, because I I can see that, right? I I'm, I'm certainly will not go as far as to say, John, you're wrong. That is an incorrect reading based on whatever. But I'm not sure if I see this as quite as a scathing attack or if I see this as a dialogue written by Bill Maher in a sympathetic argument for the dangers of cancel culture. Like, I, I don't know if this film is lambasting Hollywood or lambasting the 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 state of cancel culture discourse. And, and either way, I see it as being not one entirely, but kind of messily interwoven into both sides of this thing.
1: Well, this is kind of the reason why I think this is such a good film to talk about, because... Because I think it doesn't resolve, mm-hmm. right? I don't think it resolves, and I think Fields has been notoriously very slippery about what the film means and what the kind of quote-unquote right answer is, um, in a way that's kind of reminiscent of somebody like David Lynch. Um, Bold, and I think, and I think there is a there is an argument to be made that like, kind of the ch- one of the reasons this is such a challenging film is because it demands uh the the you become a participant in it Mm -hmm. right and so you are necessarily kind of it's a film that basic like any great work of art it should make you interrogate what it means to make meaning and what does it mean for you you know you can't you don't kind of receive the moral from the Mm -hmm. film with so much mainstream cinema you actually have to kind of like sit with it and it's long enough and it's shot well enough and it's edited brilliantly enough but like all of the questions within it um find they have kind of space to breathe. What I like about this is that it's a film that you have to take on its own terms. And beyond that, the film doesn't really care what you think. Or rather, it doesn't kind of privilege a it doesn't kind of privilege a particular um, interpreter. I mean, I have a reading of it, which I think is right, obviously. <laughs> but, but I complete but I completely agree that all of the things that you are going to kind of critique the film for are are there. Um, But I think this is the thing that's kind of been so missing from so much mainstream cinema where we kind of have like really simplistic narratives where you know really easily who the good person is and who the one you're supposed to root for is. And on the formal level, this film uses the kind of cinematic tools of sociological realism to kind of make your certainties much more pliable I think it puts you in a really interesting position as an audience member, um, which I think we'll get into as we get into more kind of details mm-hmm. of it. But like everything from it's kind of like really polished cinematography, the performances, right? You will, It's a film that's designed to convince you. And then it will, it systematically forces you back onto yourself to make you sort of re-question what you've just seen.
0: Meow. Interesting in- interesting very very interesting. I'm I'm not quite sure if I see this film as being so dialectically complex, but but I do see a lot of like internal to the characters and the way the characters are positioned. I 100% agree with what you're putting down, but I think that as we as we take a step back and look at the more systemic issues at play and how these narratives play out in the story of this movie, it is very much like I feel a lot of like i don't know CK Lewis doing a stand up bit about the dangers of cancel culture in this film it's hard to kind of not see it within that context and i think the the character max is, is someone i'm probably going to be talking about a lot in this movie because i think for me that was a very let's, revealing let's, let's
1: let's talk about max no, well maybe we can we can get onto max maybe we can get onto max because i think i think the i, th- I think there's a there's a part of me that's like oh my god scout what are you doing
0: <laughs> scout has tar opinions
1: well there's one kind of formal element there's one kind of formal moment in the film that i think is worth talking mm-hmm. about um and it's the moment where lydia's Tar drops off olga the cellist mm-hmm. And it's the point at which, essentially, to be honest, the more I think about it, the more I think that if you read any of this film literally, you're making a colossal mistake, mm-hmm. because this is the point at which the film explicitly becomes becomes in its content non-realist, and in its form, still maintains kind of sociological realism. So this is a this is so in the moment, it's a kind of. The majority of the film has been shot very kind of classic cinematic language, right? Shot, reverse shot, Mm -hmm. um, you know, realistic representation. And so Olga gets out of the car and in that shot, you see another car coming across the frame. There's an immediate reverse shot where you still see the car. So in the language of editing, no time has passed. Olga has immediately disappeared out of the film. Uh, And we'll get into what happens to Lydia in that moment. Uh, or in that kind of following sequence, but like that's the moment at which I I kind of went, oh, this is this is a film that's using kind of sociological realism, the cinematic language, um, but in a way that its actual content consistently works against. And like this is what so for example, uh, the confrontation with Max is later released as an edited video on the mm-hmm. internet. And of course, looking back, you realize nobody in that room was holding a camera. So where did the footage come from? Right? Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly so many so so many like little things about this film, if you step out of the framework of sociological realism that aims to convince you that what you're seeing is quote unquote real in a material sense, it no longer work. Uh so I think this is why I think it's an interesting movie, because like if you try and read this completely literally as a sort of impartial observer to the world, the film just doesn't work. <laughs>
0: right? Very interesting. Um,
1: so there are all of these, there are these kind of tiny moments in this film where you suddenly see like the cracks that it's trying to pry open in the in the form of film itself. Um, and this is why I think, I think you're right. I think that scene with Max, the Juilliard scene, as it's become mm-hmm. known, um, which is shot in a, a kind of magnificently choreographed wanna and then later restaged in a kind of hyper edited like in both of those the camera is supposed to be invisible the camera's not there so what are we what are we actually seeing are we seeing something that's real uh and i think the the closest analog is like first person perspective in a novel or first person mm-hmm. narration in a novel um and again I don't I don't disagree with you I think there's a lot that's uh, that I think there's a lot that's reactionary a lot that's kind of deeply virulently unpleasant in this film um but I also think if you look at the formal structure of it it becomes easier to go to to the thing that kind of always happens is there's the equivocation between representation and endorsement mm-hmm. and that's not what this the film is representing some things yeah absolutely but I don't think the film endorses them or, or at least it doesn't endorse them in a kind of totality,
0: right? Interesting, interesting, interesting. I really like this reading. Um. So so this is why this is why one of the questions I asked is like what is this
1: film? What, what genre is this film and why does that question matter? because if, if you go this is a realist drama this is you know it's written and directed by Todd Fit Fields. This is what fields really thinks about the, the those the darn woke agenda. Of, of the youths today. I completely agree. This is like deeply reactionary. But if you think about this. In terms of like. Uh, what. The ways in which the form. And the content. Constantly rub up against each other. In ways that almost seem accidental. But absolutely are not. You suddenly start to see very interesting. Problems with th- thinking of it. As a
0: realist drama. Because um, to me. This is a ghost story. This this is fascinating. So I think um, I, I have I have a convergent analysis of the kind of sociological realism of this film that that plays on some of these kind of like uh hauntological or magical realist moments that that we're evoking here, right? Like in the uh, the the Juilliard sequence, right? One beautifully shot. I, I'm a sucker for a oneer. Oscar bait works sometimes. Um, <laughs> But like that, and then the re-edit, right? Like, I, we live in a moment where the threat of an extant and persistent magical camera absorbing everything we do is kind of real. You know, you're always within shot of someone's cell phone, a security camera, a ring doorbell camera. Like the magic, persistent viewership of some unseeable audience is kind of a truism. It's like it's just real now, and so that, I, well, well, like. The the other flip side of that, and the much
1: more insidious side of that, is uh, surveillance, ring yes. cameras sharing their footage with the police. Like so, I, I I guess the the point is there's a there is this there is this danger of like oh you're always going to be observed by someone who's looking. For, no, you're always being observed by like the police. You're always like you're always you are an atomized subject under the kind of neoliberal hegemon. And, yeah. You are you are always already known and monitored. Because um, you're right, you're right. I totally, I totally agree with you. But I think uh, the, the 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 kind of good way of uh, sort of placing that double shot, double shot, double edited scene in context is the scene where Tara is shown that in the boardroom of the charitable foundation that have been bankrolling her, uh, and all of these oligarchs and all of these kind of like venture capital uh ghouls who try and wash their money through classical music to give it some cultural legitimacy
0: suddenly are the ones being seen as well so i think this is really important too and this is kind of what i was getting at with the um uh sequence with max and then it's re-editing right like i I agree that we shouldn't read this film literally right like lydia tar is not a person lydia tar is a character lydia tar is a bit of fiction right But I think the thing that is on display here is not like this isn't Fields, you know, uh, I don't know, as regards Columbus Day for cancel culture, culture, right? Like this isn't some big pedantic statement that's being written, but it is written by, for, and from the perspective of a neoliberal hegemonic cultural force, right? This is Hollywood as as a larger system with its own goals and agencies expressing its ideas and its views through units that it promotes right like this is just classic um manufacturing consent right the people who rise to the top rise to the top because they do not rock the boat definitionally and what i think we see here with like the the edit scene with max going from this original confrontation right and that confrontation scene I think it's really important of who Max is and how Max is presented, right? Max, Max never stops shaking throughout that entire sequence, right? And maybe it's just some kind of restless leg syndrome, but no, that's, that's the nervous and afraid uh, undergrad constantly shivering when they, they, they encounter a real force with their, you know, he's queer coded, obviously, with his painted nails, clearly a person of color, Right. So so we're 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 creating for ourselves like this uh this tulpa of woke culture for Lydia Tarr to like sick like a dog, you know, like it's a really uh, almost troubling sequence. And then when it's reproduced and edited, you know, we get we get this fear. Right. Because conservatives uh, kind of broadly conservative culture, center right culture, the kind of like neoliberal hegemonic force, they have a persistent fear of being caught. There is this persistent fear. They're the ones who are afraid of the kind of cancel culture zeitgeist because they'll get they'll be found out finally. Like we live in a moment where they might actually get caught and face some sliver of repercussions. So we're seeing that played out like there's a fear of like we don't see the student with the cell phone camera recording that. But there probably was a student with a cell phone camera recording that sticking awkwardly out of their backpack or a shirt pocket or something. Who knows? Um, and so that's that's part of that fear, and then when it's reproduced to the board, we're kind of seeing the next level of that, right? Like, because you know C. K. Lewis, Ben Shapiro, like all, all of these figures, right? Even Dave Chappelle, like J. K. Rowling, you know, like they're 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 kind of the emanations of this force, but the force itself is the capital behind it, right? They're 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 just these kind of polyps that appear on the surface of a larger tapestry of wealth and power. And like, they're ultimately like, you know, if someone, someone gets, you know, into a little bit too much trouble, they have to be massaged out so that other little polyps can pop up down the road.
1: Yeah. I mean, so I actually think, I actually think we agree here, um, if from slightly different directions. So it's like, (laughs) if this film, if this film is not a realist, so I want to, I want to, I wanted to quote something that Scorsese says about the movie that he he talks about this film and says that, like, it's the, the limits of the frame itself and the provocation of the measured long takes all reflect the brutal architecture of her soul, Tars' soul. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so if this is not a realist drama with a kind of omniscient camera, like, what are we seeing? And at every stage, at every stage, until elements probably in the last 45 minutes where the cracks begin to grow wider what you're seeing is what Lydia Tarr thinks is oh, yeah. what Lydia Tar's view right so no wonder she comes off as kind of she's framed in that first viewing of the scene as kind of righteous mm-hmm. and and charismatic yeah. and provocative um and then in the in the uh, edited footage she's it's uh she's complaining of the linguistic traps which have been mm. laid for her cuz you you're completely right the whole point the the whole kind of uh problem, the whole kind of intractable problem, is that canceling doesn't work. Yes. Uh, Louis yes, C. K. is Lewis CK is still is still, still raking in money. Yeah. Dave, Dave Chappelle makes huge amounts of cash. J.K. Rowling's still mm-hmm. a billionaire and is you know producing the new Harry Potter television show. Its power is its power is extremely viral, mm-hmm. and this film has some really interesting things to say about the status of media itself i think um but is incredibly inconsistent yes deep it is like and so th- does but the, the the kind of big problem then is like does the film endorse any of this right does the film endorse you know the the self-protection of these you know millionaires who cut the cut the liability the the, the asset which becomes toxic off the the balance sheet does the film endorse that no, I think the film is. I think the film is kind of scathing about these people, and like the whole point is that, um, like her, her, there is no actual accountability. Like everything, and the reason I think this is because the ending is is a kind of like bleak joke, right? This is. It's like, oh well, has how much is how much is genuinely? She's doing the same thing, but she's just doing it in a place which is. Where where her abuses are easier to hide? She, she's just she's right?
0: just doing she's just doing an old fashioned Kissinger, you know. She's not she, yeah. She's exactly. not punished. Exactly. And we're I, just I, punishing the global south. We're just we're just yeah. sending her to some fucking like Asian client state where she can reproduce all of her crimes, and and there will yeah, be no exactly. consequences. And I don't
1: and I don't think I don't think the film endorses that at all. I think the film finds it
0: like well, here's, bleakly. Cynically ironic. Well, here's kind of my like the thing that one of the things that I've been wrestling with while watching this film, and one of the things that made me very critical about it. Because I like and like uh, listeners, you know what I'm about to say. John, you're right. Like <laughs> we're we're agreeing, but I think like we're doing the fun thing where we have like this kind of freestanding parallel analyses of the film that like we're we're trying to shoot little like hyphae across to each other to share nutrient-rich discourse. Um mm-hmm. but like I think this film is incredibly scathing of the kind of cultural mechanics around hashtag cancel culture in both the sense that like cancel culture is meaningless because even if Louis CK was obliterated by a bunch of Twitter users posting hard enough, like uh, people who want a conservative comedian would just find someone else like, you know, cancel culture is a, a top level problem, but the roots are all still there. You know, it just buys time, I guess you know, give, give a couple years and a new Louis C.K. Sprouts, but, yeah, um, precisely, but I think, and I think the film is aware of that. The film is very like, ah, yes, like we've got, we understand that machination, but my, the thing in this film that I do think that the film is, I think very clear about is the film is incredibly sympathetic to Lydia Tar. The film is incredibly sympathetic to, to the canceled, the, the plight of the canceled artist and and their great contributions to society and their brilliant insights being waylaid by a bunch of gay children and their their insepid online discourses. You know, uh, I, I think I the mean, film is very, very, very like I wouldn't think, it, it's horrible think, what we did to Joss Whedon.
1: I think I think that's partly true. But there's an, there's a moment in this film which made me realize that Lydia Tar is the butt of the joke. Mm-hmm. And it's when Tar goes back to her house. She's from Staten Island. Yeah. <laughs> she's she's from Staten. Like she's like all of it is this is a sham. All of it is kind of completely hollow. Mm-hmm. And it's like uh the opening sequence, which is the interview with Tar oh, with yeah. Adam Gopnik from The New yeah. Yorker, like when you watch it and then jump forward to that scene where she goes back to the suburbs of Staten Island and it's not derogatory towards towards that not really what the thing that the film kind of mocks is her like empty pretension uh she's she's absolutely the butt of the joke because you you're kind of right there are bits of the film which go she's so talented she's done all the, but like really there's nothing there there's nothing there's nothing behind her all of its all of it the film kind of goes oh She's so talented. Then later, it just goes. There's
0: nothing. There's. It's all. It's all performance. So, it's all hollow. So you're right. It is hollow. There is nothing inside of Lydia Tarr. L- Lydia Tar is performative. You know, in my Precy, when, when I referenced the, the the ten paragraphs of of lauding someone's feminist accomplishments and then talking about their whimsical childhood, that was the New York the New Yorker's interview with Joss Whedon, when when he was going through his hashtag cancel culture hashtag Me Too moment. You know, like it, it was, you know, we have to laud his accomplishments and discuss the complicated artist before us before we dig into the substance. And what I think about this film is that from you and you and I, when I'm watching this, I'm like, oh, Lydia Tar. Lydia Tar is just another Joss Whedon. Lydia Tarr is just a J.K. Rowling. Lydia Tarr is just another fucking ghoul that needs to be stripped of their power that they should have never had in the first place. It, it is the system functioning as intended because you and I have a set of political and cultural tools that allow us to see these set of this set of information from that perspective. But I think that this movie is also presenting us with a series of exculpatory facts about Lydia Tarr. You know, like, like when we see her like Staten Island suburban upbringing, like, is it? Is it a, a testimony to her hollowness, and the the you know Scorsese's comment about the brutalism of the architecture of her soul, or is that is that brutalism sympathetic? Is is this look look at how far she's come, look at what she's accomplished, look at her challenging, whimsical past, and yeah. then and then yeah, we yeah. see a, an incredibly and, and like, sympathetic fill, I, figure before
1: us, and like, uh, I I think. I think the point is, yeah. You watch and go. yeah, she's a ghoul who never deserved any of this fame and power, anyway. Um, but really, the the structures of fame and power remain unchanged, yes. mm. right? This is this is really the point. Um, you know, her her friend who ends up conducting Mahler's Fifth Symphony the the absolute hack. The fact that her, the you know the billionaire philanthropists still exist to do billionaire philanthropy with their private jet they're not bothered. They're not, like. hasn't that hasn't changed anything um and i think i I, yeah i think the film the film the 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 reason the reason i think it's interesting the reason that i think there's so much to talk about is because the film doesn't resolve Mm -hmm. you're right i I, everything you've said is correct everything you've said is correct and i think um you too by the way (laughs) like it is like this i mean this is something that Tar says, right? It just says, "What's more interesting, the questions or the answers?" And the film, the film itself, is clearly designed to, to be more interested in the questions. Mm-hmm. And and you know what? Some of the answers that you can draw out of it are deeply reactionary, are deeply apologetic for, for the you know the tortured genius. But I actually think that that kind of brings us onto like really complicated questions of how what does it mean to think about art and maybe more crucially imagination.
0: As materialists, right? Hey, listeners out there in listener land, do you want to think about art from a materialist perspective? Well, then you can go to patreon.com horrorvanguard, horrorvanguard.com, Twitter and Instagram at horrorvanguard to get more of delicious Horror Vanguard for less than the cost of, uh, uh, I don't know, a copy of Monster Hunter. <laughs>
1: enough yeah enough to uh, you know take that money that you were gonna spend on the live recordings of marla's five symphonies (laughs) and instead uh give it to us were you about to attend Um,
0: juilliard well horror vanguard university is here for you instead like so there's there is this is
1: something i saw on twitter it was a phrase used by uh the writer joe kennedy who wrote a really good book called authentocrats um he used this phrase mark fisher price criticism yes. mm-hmm. uh which i think is i think is really good i think it's really good and truthfully personally i think i've been guilty of that um another kind of variation on it is like what we could call like scooby doo analysis mm-hmm. where you you take off the mask and the f- and the film was really yep. about capitalism all along um or you know oh it's really about capitalist realism or it's And I'm like, yeah, maybe we, maybe we can do better. Maybe we can, maybe we can try and kind of complicate things even further. And I guess that's, that's why I was like, what, what does it mean to have a kind of relationship to art as, uh, as kind of, as, 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 uh, people on the left what is what does a materialist theory of imagination look like because i think one of the kind of worst things about the critical reception of this is like there tends to be a lot of like just collapse of interpretation mm-hmm. where this film this film which i think says asks really really complex questions about a lot of things what did everybody talk about everyone talked about the one scene that's in juilliard and i think there are i think it's really pressing that Tar has at least two victims. There's Max, who is who is victimized by this person in power and in authority, and there's the one that nobody else seen, that nobody really talked about, uh, and it's the one who dies. Mm-hmm. It's Krista who is driven to suicide, um, and Krista is the one who haunts Tar. Right, the opening shot is over the redhead, o- over Krista's head. Mm-hmm. Right, if you pause the film at certain frames, you'll see Krista in the back of the frame right? It's another example of when that kind of sociological realism of the cinematography fractures apart. There's a kind of great one where, like, Krista is sitting in the dark when Tara's in uh, the bedroom with a child. So it's like, nobody talks about Krista in the same extent and degree. And I'm like, there are so many other things in this film. And it's like, can we find ways of talking about art which is potentially kind of reactionary how's the elements of concern how do i guess i guess this is the big thing that i came away from this film thinking about which is like what does a left theory of imagination look like right because we've all been like tremendously emotionally moved by any kind of piece of art like you know this is about classical music fine whatever you could pick whatever form of art you want like uh how do we how how do we engage with that and I guess I don't, I wanted to know what you think. What does what is, what is a left theory of the imagination look like? Because I think at the moment, it's incredibly scarce. It's so thin. You know, I was reading through the Principle of Hope the other day, and it's, it's encyclopedic in the mm. amount of kind of art and culture. It, it kind of tries to discern the utopian kernel within. Um, Jameson's work for like the last yeah. 30 or 40 years has been about every element of culture has within it this kind of utopian impulse, which is imaginative and even close, transcending the material actuality of our contemporary situation. And I'm like, how do we recoup that? How do we maintain that? How do we kind of nourish that in relation to a work as deliberately complex and contradictory and frustrating as as this movie?
0: What do you, what do you I think? almost wish that this was a bonus episode because that your 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 previous statement would be the thing that I clip to put after the pracy in the teaser for the bonus episode because that was fucking brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, round round of applause. Um, I, I think you're I think you're absolutely right, and I think that this is a lot of this episode, and this is sometimes movies that I don't like are some of my favorite films to discuss because they give me a side of struggle, uh, for both cultural and political like argumentation and context. And I think that this is a good, good film for that. And I think that for me, the answer is kind of both, right? Because when I consider the kind of Scooby-Doo criticism, right, where we pull off the mask and reveal the simplicity of the thing, I do think there's a usefulness for that. And there's a place for that. And it's not necessarily bad on its own, right? Sometimes a lack of complexity is just clarity, and that reminds me of Big Bill Haywood, one of the kind of founders of the IWW statement, where someone asked him if he had read Karl Marx's Capital. And Big Bill Haywood kind of said no. And after that, he said, I, I haven't read Marx's Capital, but I have the marks of Capital all over my body. And, and sometimes we have a clarity that transcends the, the theoretical, right? There, there's kind of this direct encounter with the thing that doesn't require the trust and support of, of heavy theoretical frameworks, but on the same on the same turn of that, like the, the 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 kind of like din and noise of pulling off the mask of everything and saying neoliberalism so many times that the word ceases to have like a cogent set of meanings. Like that. That's bad. <laughs> that gets really bad there, you know. Like- yeah, because I because I agree. I, I agree. Like sometimes we do
1: have sometimes the answer is simple and sometimes the answer has to be stated simply. But I'm like. there is a danger to like having our pre-made mold and just like smashing every single Mm -hmm. work into it. And, and because that, that way we end up being exactly the kind of economic reductionists that we've
0: always tried to not be. I was about to say that that leads to enter adjective here, reductionism, which creates readings that are perhaps on some level correct, but nevertheless miss the forest for the trees.
1: Yeah, exactly, and I, and I think the the reason that I the reason that I, 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 I kind of am troubled by that tar, <laughs> I'm haunted by it, is because like there's this, that scene where she goes back to Staten Island, she puts on an old Leonard Bernstein tape, mm-hmm. where Bernstein is talking about classical music, yep. and like it's I, and it's because Blanchett's an incredible performer. You see the you see the tar with the accent mask slip. Mm-hmm for a second right and you and you go well this is this the film's trying to make us sympathize with it. and you go yeah maybe and but it's like that moment of encounter with art for the first time it usually happens when you're kind of younger and you realize there is a kind of imaginative capacity within us that stretches out from beyond what seem to be our own physical limits uh is is powerful and it is a kind of universal experience you know um and i i, I just i'm just like we need a, we need to be willing to accept ima- imagination as part of a kind of leftist cultural criticism Absolutely. we're very good at we're very good at critique but i'm le- I, th- I think we're less good at being like here's how, criti- how here's how you know the the, the ruthless criticism of all, of all that exists does not eliminate the utopian transcendent possibility of of, of art of of that
0: encounter with with the capital T thing, I, I I completely agree, and I think part of the difficulty, which is expressed in the kind of like text of Tar, is that any th- any imagination that we have, like I've I've been focusing very heavily lately in my own thoughts on play, and like play theoretically and play as concept, and like the play space that we have for our imagination is one of misogyny racism transphobia capitalism ableism like that that is the sandbox in which any living leftist in our current historical moment exists our our tools are forged in this greater social context the, the horizons of our imagination are kind of bound in with them and so like i so I, <laughs> I just finished my rewatch of star trek the original series and now i'm on to tng um and yeah, I've been considering kind of Star Trek from the perspective of left imagination and play. And I, I think one of the things that's interesting with those two uh, series of Trek, this is such a, no, oh, my listeners forgive me, <laughs> um, but like they're, they're clearly problematic, right? Like star, star Trek still has a nationalistic uh, pseudo empirical military force that it's bound into, right? Like, and, it, and of course it's connected into real world problems. Most of the starring cast are still straight white men, right Most of their stories still reflect their interests. Every episode has a but the the greatest living earth poet, William Shakespeare, you know like it's still got problems of canon and textuality. but nevertheless we're attempting to kind of imagine a world wherein money and poverty and racism and sexism ceased to be and what that could be like and it's, it's woefully incomplete but it's a striking out in that direction and I don't know that's that's just a thought in that in that shape i I mean
1: I agree <laughs> and I think I think this this
0: uh, you've Maki radio of, uh, uh
1: mouse on contradiction yeah here we go um which is this idea of like um what is it mouse says mouse says that contradictoriness within a thing is the fundamental cause of its development and I think we don't necessarily like we see contradiction as the problem, when in fact actually contradiction is the point at which thought starts properly. Yes, right. We see the we see we see the conflict between the kind of internal uh universal response of 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 the individual towards the you know, what they would historically call the sublime. Uh we see that in conflict with exactly what you were talking about, right? The material and social totality of where we exist and the the space in which we encounter culture, that mediation that Benjamin talked about between, you know, superstructural elements and the and the uh, economic structures of a given moment. Uh, but that mediation is the point at which our kind of thought has to begin. And I think this is maybe why I think huge amounts of contemporary criticism about the film did the thing that the film refuses to do and picked aside, mm-hmm. They went, oh, it's it's about the tortured genius of art, or it's about the you know the darn reactionary like, and in fact the the point is the answer to those questions is yes that's what that's what it is about, and those things are not those contradictions do not negate one another right, but are actually this is this is a chance for us to. Improve our own hermeneutics, right? The 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 only thing that we have uh, to help us kind of unlock the world, um, and yeah, I'm I'm all for occasionally just going. No, it's about capitalism, don't, don't. <laughs> but I also think that like without recognizing the the role of imagination and the possibility of our having this this utopian capacity to take us out of ourselves, we we are giving away something to reactionary traditionalists who fetishize canon and see uh, you know, those Juilliard students as people who have to be molded to a particular form rather than the, kind of, the next stage of a, a kind of ongoing and unfolding process that we get to participate in, if only for a moment
0: and i think conversations because you're absolutely right if if there is to be a left imagination it it is just struggle it is just contradiction it is just that kind of movement and i think canon is is a really good example of that right because the the both of the overly simplified conversations around canon are either oh we teach we teach mozart bach and beethoven because they're the greatest musicians that ever lived and if you're overly concerned, you, you essentially just reproduce Tar's argumentation. Oh, you're overly concerned with if like the one the one thing that Tar said that was just like straight out of Bill Maher or Christopher Hitchens or any of those ghouls. But like when Tar says to Max, like, oh well, you're just focusing on their race. What if someone just focused on takes off sunglasses, your race? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and then, like again. you know, like that's that's the kind of one layer of commentary on the canon. And of course, the other layer is we should throw out the canon entirely. And like, but well, actually, you know, like those old white artists inform later thinkers, and we could do the same thing internally to like left theoretical conversations. We shouldn't throw out Marx. Marx has informed countless queer people, people of color, women. Yeah, like, totally. you know, I mean, and we this have to is the point, right? Canon,
1: canon is not a. Canon is not a set of texts, mm. really. Canon is a process, yes. right? Is it is right and like to engage with art is to commune with the dead, mm-hmm. right? And f- for a second, to have the dead present with us, which is a kind of collapse in time itself, right? Isn't like I, I, this is one of the points which I think uh, Tar is right about, right? What is what does the director in the film do, and what does the conductor do with the orchestra? They control time, uh, right? They collapse that mm-hmm. distinction between something that happened 300 years ago or something that was written, you know, uh, 50 years ago and it becomes kind of present to us, it becomes real again, it's, it is made real. Um, and I'm like, yeah, we. W- this is the thing that I kind of like was left with with this film, which is like, we have to have a way of incorporating that that doesn't fall into this kind of like n- neoliberal normative cultural discourse of going X thing is good or bad.
0: And this is this is, I think, like a meta struggle I have with this film and as well as its cultural reception. Right. Because I think the film is this is this is so uh, appropriately conflicting. But I think the film struggles to not fall into that existing hermeneutics of that struggle. Right. Like the, the, the film is as a text in itself, problematically collapsing into a certain appraisal of great man artists and cancel culture and who's levying these criticisms and why. And like, what happens to the people who put forth these criticisms, you know, like it's on uncertain footing. And I don't, and the thing, the thing for me about this film that kind of makes me so I'm very openly hostile towards tar as, as a piece of art and a piece of text. And I think we should be very hostile towards art sometimes, you know, like, you know, for good reason. And I think with tar, I'm uncertain like I don't think this movie is on as as strong and as steady theoretical foundations and and as standing as it would need to be to kind of masterfully blend those two without like entering into kind of this circular masturbatory like we're still way too sympathetic for lydia tar through the course of this movie this I, I just can't help escape that like this this is lydia tar's movie you know this isn't the max max is an incidental player you know like every, everyone who lydia tar victimizes and harms along the way are are third third seat accompanying players to tar's orchestra I mean, and that's, that's, that's the point. And I'm like,
1: I think <laughs> characters don't have to be good or nice. Oh yeah, totally, they to be totally. interesting. They, they have, they have to be interesting. Um, and the problem is, um, the kind of joke of it is that maybe she's not interesting because she's presented that way. Mm-hmm. And the entire, the entire film is about kind of stripping away her own pretension, um, was oh, yeah. like, I, mm-hmm. I, and again, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with you, and I think there is, uh, there are so many kind of complexities to it that the film itself doesn't undertake, mostly because I don't know if that's its yeah, job. I, I think that's our job. I, I think um, <laughs>
0: it is, and I think one of the things that you and I are both struggling with is, I see the stripping away of Tars because I, I agree with that. The, the, through the course of the movie, we strip away Tars' ego, we strip away her grandstanding. She goes from the, like, overly intellectualized, the, the professor cracking the whip and, and uh, woke student destroyed by conservative maestro. You know, we, we strip away these layers and, and then we get to this tar and uh, the side of conflict here, I think, is partly like, I, I, I see the text and body of this film as being deeply on her side for that. That it is, it is this is Icarus falling from grace. This is someone who was yeah. an incredible artist of of true magnificence being destroyed by hashtag woke culture, and but again, the, the counter but again, reading to that if, is also if present. this
1: if if this film is entirely from Lydia's from Tar's point of view, of course. Like, but there's there's a moment which which where the editing again I think massively undercuts it. So like, what happens immediately after the Juilliard scene? She goes for drinks or d- lunch with her old mentor. Mm-hmm in berlin but she's back in berlin in in a cut between scenes right so again something weird is going on right you can't there's a it's a great detail and he starts complaining like and she's like complaining about the kids these days and suddenly he starts complaining about denazification and for a second for a second you see tal look so deeply uncomfortable and the irony the irony is never pointed out to the viewer never it's never made explicit but it is all there and i think again it, if this is if this is predominantly a film that shows us what what the world as lydia Tarr, the fictional character thinks it is then of course it would be sympathetic but the, but the the real question that the film poses is are you going to fall for this are you are you going to fall for this are you going to fall for the for this great tortured artist routine because by the end of the film you know it's not none of this is true none of this is real so like this this is why i, th- I cuz again i think you're completely right i think you're completely right but is, but my 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 reading of it is like the construction of this is so deliberate that it almost it almost kind of tempts you to give yourself over to it because this, the, to me, as an audience member, that's that's the question, which is like, is anyone, who's, like, the opening scene with all those people laughing away in the audience, I'm like, who's buying this? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> right?
0: who, are you, are you listening to what she's saying? None of this makes any sense. And, and it's the same with, like, like, in her lecture, too, I'm like, this is the most, like, vapid, pseudo-intellectual, like, gobbledygook, like, like. And it's like, and it's like, yeah,
1: yeah. the The temptation is always there to be like, maybe. And it's like, no, 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 no. You've got to, you've got to. I, I, I admire this film. I don't know if I, I don't. I think maybe that's the right word for it. I admire it because it is consistently challenging you as a viewer in a way that precious few contemporary films seem willing to do. Abs-
0: absolutely, absolutely. And like, 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 I, re- I rewatched the lecture scene like, I think three times, I just kept going back and, like, rewinding it and, like, watching that because, like, I was trying, like, throughout that whole thing, Max is like, I have a problem focalizing certain artists due to contemporary political issues and then Lydia Tarr is like, the harmonics of your own soul plugs the gateway of the path of temptation through sound and I'm just like, this is, just- <laughs> oh. She's, she's in, like, in, in another way,
1: I like I've said this is a ghost story, but in another way, this is like a really dark comedy mm-hmm. and she's like a grotesque comedy monster yeah. Um. because it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and the, and the, the other great moment is, um, her accordion solo, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which, which I'm sorry, is like, is so funny. Yeah. Everything about that moment is so funny. Uh, you know, where suddenly suddenly people are desperately coming to see the great maestro, but but can you keep it down? We're trying to sell the house next door. <laughs> which in the context of the movie is such a great bit. And her response is so it's like it's like something out of a farce. It's so good. There's so many bits which made me laugh really hard. Um and and yeah, I I think it's worth wrestling with it. And I think it's worth it's 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 a really it's a it's a it's a very bleak comedy and it's also a very good ghost story about someone who as we all maybe do deserves to be haunted by things
0: oh absolutely 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 like there's so much in this movie to talk about which is one great for us i'm just still struggling to watching this movie I didn't, my, my, my first watch through this, I didn't laugh a single time. I, I was watching this movie and in my head, I, I was seeing the Bill Maher interview with Lydia Tarr and, and, and Bill, Bill Maher going like, cancel cultural has gone too far. Hasn't it Lydia? And then Lydia going, you know, when I was a young composer, I was really influenced by Christopher Hitchens and, you know, Henry Kissinger brought me to play on his yacht. And then at that moment I realized the beauty of art. And just kind of like the the vapidity of of all of that, and the fact that this this film part of the problem of having this kind of like open field of struggle is that the you 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 kind of have to have the strength of character to very, and this is the, the going back to our Scooby Doo conversation, the Scooby Doo section of this, like the removing of the mask, if you will, like. This movie loses that the strength of character to say no, fuck this. That's bad for having a very intellectual, very open field of struggle, which ha- has its upsides, yes, and has its utilities. However, it does open the door for like you know we're like we we've, we've seen the the popular criticism and reaction to this film. Like there are a lot of people out there on Lydia Tarr's side. You know, like the movie does in a sense yeah. fail to. Well, you know, make Lydia Tarr either the kind of grotesque center of comedy or, like, the, this clearly pompous, vainglorious media ghoul, you know?
1: I think you've kind of hit upon, a, <clears throat> like, a meta problem. Because I don't know. I don't know if I would... I, I agree with you pretty much all the way up until the end. Because uh, I don't know if the film does fail. I think the film... I think sometimes, sometimes what I'm kind of per- one of my worst habits is to criticize a film for something that it isn't. And what what I, I you know I've been reading some of the old reviews of Ebert, Roger Ebert, and I disagree with Ebert on a lot, and I think he's kind of very wrong about a lot. But like the thing that I think is is worth doing is trying to take the, each film seriously on its own terms and trying to think about what it is. Um, and I'm like. I think the meta problem that you've hit upon is like it seems impossible for us to talk about it without putting it into the context of the real world. And Lydia Tara is not a real person; like Lydia Tard doesn't exist. This is a this is a, this is a fabrication that's been written and constructed in a certain way. And I'm like, I think I think you are right, and I think the problem is is not necessarily something internal to the film itself, but is how the the kind of interrelationship between cinema as a kind of product that is then turned into a kind of discourse.
0: Yes, this this right? film would have been an amazing grotesque comedy if your average Roger Ebert level film critic would be openly quoting Mao. That then Lydia Tar <laughs> would have been very funny. But your average film critic is is going going to soirees shoulder in shoulder with the ghouls that are destroying our world. Which yeah, makes I mean, but, Lydia Tarr like, their that's movie. The pro-
1: that's yeah. That's the problem that the film is trying to get at. Right. That's the that's the very problem. And it's, this is why I'm like this. Is, this is a film that is is in a way about all of those people who moralize about cancel culture. But I don't think it's on their side at all. And I think the fact that the film that this the film which is um kind of like th- claustrophobically thrilling in so many ways gets. Turned into kind of more more grist for the mill, for the you know it gets fed into the grinder and turned into the 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 the, the discursive kind of gray slop, which is dominated, <laughs> which has dominated how we talk about how we how we talk about film as a as a form of art for like easily the last decade or if not longer. Uh, I think that's that's part of the problem, you know. That's exactly the and it's and you you're completely right. You're completely right. People people watch this and go, ah, oh, Lydia Tarr's on our side, and they've completely missed the point of the film itself.
0: I think I think the, the, the struggle that I'm having with this movie is that the film invites you to miss the point of the film entirely, if that is the point of the film entirely. Like, it's equally possible that you can watch this movie and be like, damn, you know, like, they're doing to Lydia Tarr what they're doing to J.K. Rowling. They're trying to take away her star and success and... And it's kind of like I I was But but
1: but that's but that's your problem. And I'm like the thing that I the thing that I think makes this film good is that it doesn't do what so many other kind of mainstream Oscar movies do, which is reduce it which is kind of sand off its own edges to make itself more easily slotting into that great infernal machine of contemporary cultural discourse. And And it's like I was going to say if if people if people, people watching go ah isn't it a shame what they do to this great artist it's like that's their failing that's not the failing of the film
0: and the, but this is this is i think an interesting point of discussion because i'm not arguing for a uh uh theorize the spherical lydia tarr version of this movie that is just someone going cancel culture is a, an individualized liberal reaction to larger social issues enter lydia tarr what i'm what i'm looking for is a movie that has sharper edges a a movie that is harder to swallow a movie that is much, much more grotesque and, and intense and difficult because this movie is a a little too placid. I I kept, I kept kind of contrasting it with um, uh, inglorious bastards. Another movie made by a a highly cancelable, highly talented filmic artist, right? Someone in the Lydia tar sphere. And in, in a movie that features like an unbroken sequence of someone machine gunning Hitler's face until it's soup, you know, like and, and that movie, that movie got like a lot of like, oh, is it too violent to watch? And I'm like, no, it's it's about as violent as it needed to be, you know, like and that sequence specifically is what I'm kind of contrasting with. Like you, you cannot mistake that for like a pro Nazi text <laughs> and tar is kind of missing the like strength of standing on that ground. You know, it's kind of like ducking and dodging blows but like when david lynch does it david lynch is doing it with an unbroken 10 minute sequence of someone trying to sell you a shovel that they just spray painted gold you know like david lynch is is very bizarre and this movie is is doesn't have that weight so let's talk about the dog (laughs) okay what do you got
1: well i i i kind of get what i kind of get what you mean um and i i i I maybe sort of agree, but I'm like, let's talk about, let's talk about the the point at which I think it becomes impossible to read the film literally anymore. Um, which is Lydia Tarr wandering around a abandoned, crumbling apartment building somewhere in Berlin. And they are attacked by a dog. Um, and they end up with their right hand, which is the thing that controls time, it, as they said at the beginning of the film, in excruciating pain, uh, a which she thinks is, she mishears what the doctor calls it and she thinks it's called nostalgia, right? Time, her own past starts to quite physically, literally catch up with her. She no longer controls time, right? So I'm like, what do you think about that back, the back kind of third of the film where, where, like, surely that would be the point which I mean I'm, I'm sort of like I, I, I agree
0: with what you're saying but I'm like how much more explicit do you want the film to be so I, I think I think we're in like another interesting like like we're we're doing Dante's Inferno but it's like horror Vanguard's journey through the criticisms of Lydia Tarr And I think the kind of like sphere that well, one of the other sites of struggle in this film that I find to be like really compelling is like yeah how much more explicit does it need to be because I don't think it's explicit enough. And, and, yeah, that's, so wh- and that's what would, kind of... I guess I guess my question is, like, what would that look like? And that's, that's I think, a, a an interesting problem because anything I could posit would be, like, the kind of film criticism that I really hate doing, which is, like, you know what would have really made the ending of Avengers Endgame even better? You know, like, kind of, like, inserting, you know, like, an armchair filmic idea into the movie. But what I will say is that, like... We have kind of this like Iowa school of writing show don't tell problem. where like one of the reasons why show don't tell got really popular is because you can tell people their material condition under capitalism and it's very direct and you can tell people, you know, like really, really clear terms what stuff is about. But when you have to show people everything is metaphor, everything is misunderstandings, everything is up for debate. And I think that this movie Falls far too heavily into that one side of that, where everything is metaphor, everything is synecdoche, everything is is echoing through itself, and there's very little in the way of sometimes you can just tell people how stuff is, and but like but like there's the I I mean I th- I'm thinking
1: of the scene where like Tar's wife confronts okay. her, and like uh you know the the kind of horribly brutal line. Of like this is the only non transactional, like it's yeah. suddenly like the only non transactional relationship you've ever had. Like everything is kind of revealed, and I, I, I think I kind of, I again, I agree with you, but I'm like, I think the problem goes back to these formal qualities of like, what does it mean to watch a film, and how have we become accustomed to watching a film very passively, and being encouraged to just seek the. The moment where the character looks at the camera and goes, "By the way, this is really bad," <laughs> and yeah, that would uh, be. And I'm like, no, I actually no, I, I I actually agree with you, but I think quite a lot of the things you're looking for
0: are in the film itself. And that would be that would um, be the inverted tar, right? That would be that would be the worst tar in the other direction. If it was just a a three-hour lecture by Bill Maher about the dangers of cancel culture, or if it was you know, purely the other thing. It's not, it's not purely one or the other. It's not so didactic as to be instantly dismissed. And it's not so overly complicated as to be completely devoid of meaning. It's not mother, you know, but I do think that like all of those scenes, like the, the confrontation with her wife, the, how uh, Max's, Confrontation is reproduced throughout the film. You know, like, the sudden disappearance of several characters, despite them haunting the film. You know, like, yes, those moments are trying to communicate something to us, but it is lost, and it is kind of, at least for me, it, it, too easy to subsume that into, oh, this is just Lydia Tar's suffering. This is, this is just what she has to go through because of the dangers of cancel culture. Like, the movie is still... It's still too readily possible to give an entirely justifiable implausible reading in defense of like the like quote-unquote anti-woke argumentations
1: uh yeah yeah i i i do get what you mean what you mean and i think that is how the film was received in many ways but i'm like i actually think this is a film that rewards rewatching. oh yeah definitely and because I don't know if I, I don't know if I agree. I don't know if, I just think, I think the evidence of the film itself, you know, how do you, how do you weigh the interpretation of something against something else? I don't know. Um, but it's like, is she be is she being, is she being, is she being punished? Is this those, her sufferings of cancellation? Or, or if you read it as a haunting, is this literally her ghosts coming back? Mm-hmm. The, you know, the, those, those people that she is disc, like, she's woken by kind of screaming in the night and, you know, the sensitivity to noise and this idea of like all of these things that just, they're just too weird to like easily sort of slot into this kind of pre existing, um, cultural discourse. Even though I, I totally agree, it comments on it in ways which can often be kind of like deeply ambiguous and troubling. Um, but like the final third of the film itself is like where you get to see that not only is she this, uh, kind of cipher of a you know a kind of mm-hmm. empty surface of a person, but there's this. You know, we've already seen her kind of like be realize that she's enmeshed with like Nazi not, Nazi apologia tacitly, uh, and then her her um her colonialism her like liberal paternalistic racism all comes out in the uh final third when and inevitably casts into doubt all of her kind of music musicology and ethnography that gets talked up at the beginning of the film right because she
0: goes she goes again off uh i think i think it's filmed in thailand right the, the, the film is listed as only being filmed in the United States and Germany, but I don't think that's true. I, I don't know where those sequences were filmed. Um, it's a green screen in Disney Studios. They filmed this during the shooting of Avengers Endgame. If you look closely, Ant-Man is in the background of those final shots. <laughs> um, yeah,
1: there's, there's, a, there's, there's perfectly controlled mayhem in this film in lots <laughs> of ways. And, and I think I think people people not not deliberately but but almost inevitably read it in particular ways but like what do you what do you think of that ending the the ending sequences cuz you have the you know this this weird almost like fight scene where you know she's backstage at the recording of Mahler's symphony number no. 5 nobody seems to notice that she's there she rushes out and she beats the shit out of the hack mm-hmm. that they brought in to replace her. Um, and it's like, really? And you go, did that really happen? And then suddenly she's, she's overseas.
0: Uh, and it's like, what do you think about these, those final kind of sequences? So I think, I think we've got something interesting going on with the fight sequence because we have an immediate cultural parallel for that. And that's the Will Smith slap like we that happened recently the, that literally literally this the same form appeared to us in, in a waking dream and so it's not like i i didn't i didn't read that at all as being any kind of like hauntological dream sequence magical realism i was like oh no that's like a will smith slap moment that's 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 something but yeah, that's but, but like, burning in vogue but, in the media about that she's she's been
1: she's been fired like and she's standing right next to a musician. Nobody seems to care that she's there. Um, she's already been replaced. There's a new conductor out on the stage. And it's like there are so many. If you if you just accept the film at, at, at face value, there are so many of these moments. But when if you really start to kind of question them, so much of this is 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 so deeply strange and deliberately strange. <clears throat> um, and I think yeah, I think the final the final
0: can we talk about monster hunter so let's let's i i want to i want to dovetail into monster hunter by way of like talking about lydia's queerness right lydia describes herself as a u-haul lesbian she's in a lesbian marriage um and and there's a lot of like really good conversation about like uh girl's guts giallo did an episode on tar and there's like good lesbian uh masculinity discourses in there Um, But the thing that I found to be really interesting about her queerness was kind of like the meta reaction to it, like how other critics responded to Lydia being a lesbian. And one of the most common refrains that I heard sung from the chorus was, oh, it makes the movie more powerful because if she would have just been a white guy, this would have just been like a Harvey Weinstein, Johnny Depp biopic. And but by making her a lesbian, it gets so much more complicated. And oh
1: my god this, this is the worst kind of criticism because once again i just feel like screaming that like she's not real she's not she's no she's not, why do we why do we ah this
0: is this is such a it's such a bad way of responding I, I i completely agree with that right and like because that like again like this fits into like like if this if this is a lambasting of the kind of like Uh, anti-cancel culture, right? Like, standard boring, boring boring-ass talk show, like, response to these issues, then I think the, the, the film is delivering that critique from a position of kind of, like, the architects of neoliberal power, right? This is, like... Like this is this is kind of like delivered from the perspective of someone who's wearing like still wearing in 2023 a win the era Pete Buttigieg campaign shirt. Right. This is kind of like coming from the perspective of of some somebody who's got an I'm with her bumper sticker. Right. Like like it's the critique not being levied from some kind of like actionable left positionality. It's the critique being sent from you know the call is coming from inside the house in tar and, th- and that's kind of um i was just going to say like that's k- kind of part of part of the problem i have with like parsing it and her queerness kind of folds too comfortably into that larger conversation that i've been struggling with this whole episode yeah i think so and
1: i think it's very good at presenting things which are often not spoken um like the the kind of ambiguity of like glances and favoritism and uh and and obviously outright manipulation and abuse uh as these kind of these things which kind of build up and build up and build up um and and yeah it's a very it's very like oh it would have been it's it's so much more powerful because yeah you're right it's the worst kind of like uh it's the worst kind of like just kind of like nothing art criticism
0: (laughs) and that's and that's kind of what i think to be the kind of like grand crack in the facade of tar is like this this is the kind of like i don't know it's 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 that kind of art criticism that like is is trying to say a lot but at the end of the day it's like falling through my fingers like sand it's so granular, it's so nuanced that it's it's also diaphanous.
1: Yeah, I guess, I guess the kind of like, I guess the, the 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 that what that leaves us with is like, what do we do? And I think the answer is like more and better yes. criticism. Oh, absolutely, yes, always. Because you're right. It is it is gra- it is it is gr- granular and co- and complex and contradictory. Um, but it's it's also. It's a kind of, it's. I don't know. This this might. Forgive me if I've sounded pretentious <laughs> through this, but like, what I love about it is like, it's a it's a, it's a work that challenges. Like as as a sort of semi professional critic, you go you go. I have to resp- I have to meet this right. I have to kind of like, this is I've been thro- thrown something. Uh, you know, something's been thrown at me, so I have to kind of like rise to meet it. And it is, it's something that takes struggle. It's something that takes work. And I think in a way it kind of like reminds, it reminded me of like genuinely the kind of thrill of cinema where you go, this is not easy. And I might disagree with lots of this. And I have to kind of wrestle with kind of myself more than this work of art that doesn't really care about me. (laughs) Right. And it's like, isn't, isn't that a kind of like rare thing to get to to do as a as a
0: as an audience member as a viewer, mm-hmm. and you know you know what else really gives me that sensation, Monster Hunter. I mean,
1: uh, uh, <laughs> how could it not? Uh, what do you what do you think about that final sequence? What do you think about the
0: very final sequence? So, this this is I think the the stuff in the movie where. It really, really, like, like so much of my Pracy was, was in memoria of the final sequence of, of this film. Because we have, like, L- L- Lydia Tara's Great Punishment, her great fall from grace, is, is now, now she's con- conducting for famous video game title orchestral performances in Southeast Asia. Her great fall from grace is success beyond imagination for most people her her final yeah, punishment yeah,
1: exactly exact,
0: exactly is is anime convention fame or something like and that like i because because we have to contrast lydia tar with her real world analogs we have to contrast her with jk rowling c, c ck lewis i almost said c s lewis <laughs> um we have to contrast her dave Chappelle, like y- y- johnny depp with these people who've been quote unquote hashtag canceled and what's going on with their careers. Uh, uh, Johnny Depp's trial relaunched his career as an actor, relaunched him in the face of the media, turned him into a public hero, right? Like, like a horrible fucking monster of a human being. And now he is born again, right? Like D- Dave Chappelle got, got a truckload of Netflix specials dumped at his feet. You know, that that's his great punishment. J, J- K Rowling, gets more Harry Potter stuff to make and 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 more she she can donate millions of dollars and still be wealthy beyond imagination no, none of them are like actually punished in a way that's meaningful but Lydia Tarr pseudo is which i think is part part of the problem i have with this movie because like i i think the the ending would have and, and not to do the thing i was complaining about doing earlier in the episode but the ending would have hit harder for me is if in, instead of, you know, like her punishment is, oh, she's no longer the conductor of the Berlin Philharmonic. She's now the conductor of the, uh, I don't know, Manchester, UK Philharmonic, you know, like like still a, a a proud and famous musical institution, but one of slightly less grandeur, just like JK Rowling. Oh, well, she's not getting the Harry Potter movies anymore. She's getting the Harry Potter HBO reboot series. Oh, isn't that a fall from grace?
1: I guess there's a couple of things you said which are really interesting. Which is like there's a distinction I think between punishment and
0: justice. Yes. Oh, we should. Yeah, we have to talk about justice and council culture. Absolutely. Because it's like,
1: what's the? And in a way, you're kind of right. But but again, I'm like, what's the what's the worst thing for Tar? What's the worst thing that could happen? And the the point is like her casual racism and her, you know, pseudo imperialism, and her loss of prestige. Are all tangled up together. Like that's the thing she kind of fears, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not it's because it's the loss of prestige, it's being it's the loss of kind of the dignity of being the maestro. And it's like that's the that's the punishment. But is that is that the same thing as justice? Uh because you're right, these the the likelihood is, you know, she'll disappear for five years and then maybe write another book, taking the uh taking a kind of like uh, westernized approach to the indigenous uh, music of whichever country that she's... And suddenly there'll be new prizes and acclaim and there'll be the the comeback. And it's like, what does... The question of power necessarily raises the question of justice, because in a way that's really what the film is trying to wrestle with, like power in terms of art, power over others, you know, economic power, which is an an incredibly important theme in this film. It's like, what do you do... How do you marry power and just- what does what does justice look like in a world where power is so vastly and unequally and systematically deployed? And how often are we fobbed off with the promise of even potential punishment rather than the actual hard work of justice?
0: It, 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 exactly, and this is this is why critiques of power and hierarchy are are vital to any left appraisal of any political context or situation. You know, and like this movie flirts a lot with like the denazification of Germany and like where 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 did those Nazis go <laughs> that they, they, they didn't go where they should have gone, which is like, uh, I, I don't know, some gigantic wheat thresher in the sky. But like they they went to the most powerful world governments, the most powerful scientific research laboratories on the planet, like the, the deck was shim- simply shuffled. And that's what we're seeing with Lydia Tarr. She, she's she got her yeah, proverbial she sh- she sentence she in Argentina, away. you know, like she she's off to, to recreate those atrocities, but for, for someone else's trouble. And like this, this the, the ending for me is like, I, I think it's totally appropriate that it's a Capcom game that she's playing for. I thought that part hit really hard. <laughs> I thought that the only thing, the only yeah. thing better is it, it shouldn't have been Monster Hunter. It should have been the Resident Evil Pachinko Machine score that she should have been doing an orchestral presentation for. But like you know, close counts, close counts. But so this this like let's let's pick this apart a little bit too, because like th- there's like a clear orientalism to to the ending of this movie, and whether or not like it's it's a representation of Lydia Tar's greatest fears realized, right? You know, like you know what what would be the worst outcome for the Bill Mars of the world is now they have to go be Bill Maher in Jakarta, like. Yeah, uh, but like, the the joke kind of doesn't land because the the joke is at the expense of Southeast Asian sex worker number five that we see in the movie. Like, that's that's mm-hmm. who the the joke that's the back that this joke is breaking upon. It's it's her. It's not Lydia Tar. It's not our artistic sensibilities as a Western audience. It's it's she, she gets sentenced to a very real world thing and i i don't know the ending the ending did not hit right for me what what, what are some of your approaches to this
1: no i think i i think it's an entirely valid point and, and a very important point but again it's like like she's this she's this liberal you know pseudo-liberal uh racist and abuser who uh yeah sees sees this place as kind of like both simultaneously it's classic orientalism right it's simultaneously both exotic and other and her chance of redemption and also completely beneath her dignity Mm -hmm. right which is the classic it's almost a kind of 19th century liberal racism uh of going ah well i will go and explore the culture of foreign environments and it's like it is i i I understand what you mean because i think it's it's the nightmare ending for her right because it's she thinks it's it's undignified, but the lack of dignity is in her racist attitude towards masseuse number five and the people that she's around that she thinks of herself as being so clearly, she clearly thinks of herself as being like way above them. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think this, this is the point at which you have to think carefully about the distinction between narrative perspective and, representation like we're being shown her revulsion but i don't and i can see why the, the ending doesn't work for some people but i would argue that the film is not doesn't share her revulsion the film is very dispassionate about her revulsion because we're supposed to be dispassionate about it too i but i don't but i don't but but i don't know if that's enough right yes
0: yes i and i'm not quite, because so the ending of this, like, it has, it has tones of perfect blue throughout the film. And the ending is very, like, like when, when, when she runs out of the, uh, the, the, the massage parlor after you know, masseuse number five looks her in the eyes, you know, we see Lydia Tar like, retching and throwing up on the street corner and, like, uh, this is Lydia Tar's movie. The movie is called Tar. It's her movie. It's her story. We're we are we are seated ne- we are seated next to her in our viewership as an audience, and even active participation. Like you know, like active participation in in the the, the trial of of a, a Nazi conspirator at the end of World War II, If you had to sit next to them. Every day, if you had to eat with them, if you had to watch them talk with their partner, you would start to develop sympathies towards them, inappropriate sympathies <laughs> towards them, and like not to liken. I mean, like, and this is another kind of problem that the movie is tying is trying to pull out is like, like oh, like you know, like the the cancel culture and denazification comparison. I think is not a good one to make in the slightest. Um, but like so the. Oh my god, I just entirely lost this point that I had. Um insert here a really 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 good point that makes everyone nod their heads sagely going, "Oh yes, quite." <laughs> <laughs> Which would have been appropriate I mean, in any you put that as a scene in any moment in the movie, yeah.
1: I mean, god, there's so there's so much that we we have kind of barely scratched the surface on in terms of like class and like the pseudo-democracy of the orchestra and like technology and like there's like there's so much in here um but any
0: any final thoughts hmm final thoughts on tar yeah this is this is a movie that i i think that this is so so from from the perspective of cinematography this movie is precision and craft right this this movie is a masterful dialing in of how to use camera but, from the perspective of storytelling, I think that this is a total mess. This movie is is quicksand. You know, just just when you think quick, quicksand in the bad way. just when you think you've grabbed onto something, you're drowning. And I think that that presents us as like, you know, because like this is the show, and this is like like you know, like if you if you enjoy what we do here on the show, maybe you're like us. And like, you know, this isn't the kind of film criticism where we're like, Epic performance, 10 out of 10, by the Tar Funko Pop, coming from Target. Sponsored by Better Wellness. You know, like, we're, we're doing something hopefully a little bit weirder, hopefully a little bit more challenging. And this movie was, I think, an exciting ground for us to have this struggle on, which I think is something worthy in its own right. You know, irrespective of yeah. the film itself, it allows us to have a very i think perhaps even important conversation if not a unique one um and that for me i think makes tar something special makes it a cut above uh some other films some other films out there that are more didactic which is the i mean even yeah
1: i think even if you if you find yourself kind of leaving it dissatisfied i think it's like it it is it is a kind of thrill to watch it because you suddenly have to kind of like reckon and wrestle with something in a way that you don't often have to um with a lot of like mainstream film i think yeah there's there's so much we haven't talked about mm-hmm. and i think uh it's it's yeah i i would i would i hope i hope if you've not seen it this has made you want to kind of check it out to either Tell us that you know your your own take on it, or that we're you know inherently reactionary in our own. But that's that's good. Like the solution to complexity is not to run away from it. The solution is like more and better criticism, and I mm-hmm. think that is hopefully what we have tried to do. Oh, absolutely!
0: Today. And at the very least, like Tar made me feel things, right? Like like at the at the very <laughs> least, th- this is a movie that I sent. I would not shut up talking. With like uh, Jay from Library Punk and and our mutual friend Vi and and a bunch of other people, I would not. I was annoying the hell out of so many people, ranting about this fucking movie. And like like it 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 sparked a little fire in me. Like it got me going, and that is kind of that that's worth something, even if I found the film to be maybe not as palatable as you did. <laughs> <laughs> But thank you. Thank you so much for sharing this one as your birthday pick. I literally would not have watched Tar if it wasn't for you picking this one, which in turn means that we would have never had this conversation. And this, perhaps more than a few others, I cherish this conversation I've had with you. So thank you for this one and happy birthday, John. Cut. <laughs> Cut. 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 Uh, uh, third third string cellist, you're fired. Uh, uh, <laughs> first first string <laughs> cellist, you're too woke. Be gone to woke from my for my Mega Man 30year uh, anniversary remix uh, recital
1: <laughs> you gotta leave this bed. we're, we're, leave we're this bed playing
0: <laughs> we're playing at the United Center. we're playing this one at the United Center and I will not have such frivolity and then a, a giant crook bursts out of the ground and drags me back into hell. that's that's how this ends. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed the dread discourse until next week. Stay spooky!